Welcome to the Economic Development Matters Podcast. I'm Brianna Morris, and together with my co-host Sherry Baslama, we talk about matters related to economic development and why it matters. Sherry and I work together at Edmonton Global, where we focus on attracting investment into the Edmonton region and helping our local companies expand internationally. On this podcast, we discuss how we can compete globally and build a sustainable and prosperous economy to enhance the lives of the people in our communities. Our guest today is Dr. Leanne Hedberg from McEwen University. She's the director of the Social Innovation Institute and an associate professor in the Department of Organizational Behavior, Human Resources Management and Management. Welcome, Dr. Hedberg. Thanks for being here. Thanks. It's a treat to be here with both of you. Can we start by maybe you sharing a little bit about yourself and your background? Yes. Um, um, There's a very personal story that I committed to sharing. Um, And it's when I applied for this position, when I interviewed for this position. So I grew up in a very rural area, rural Wisconsin, a town of 250 people. And I wanted to go to college in in high school. That's what I planned on. I was really good at school. And when I asked my mom um, if we could start looking at colleges, she said, oh, no, honey, you're smart and you're pretty and you'll get married someday and have kids. So college isn't for you. Now your brothers, they need college. And growing up in the environment I did, you just listen to your parents, you know, so I was just very resigned to that, like, okay. And, um, and so we grew up, we grew up in in quite a bit of poverty and with generational dysfunction and addictions. And, um, and then I was a single mom myself. And so I did get married and had kids. I did what I was supposed to, but then I got divorced. And so I, I struggled quite a bit financially and, and just finding my way and with self-confidence. And fast forward to me completing my PhD at the University of Alberta just three years ago. And then I was recruited to apply for this position at the Social Innovation Institute with this Canada Research Chair in um, social entrepreneurship for marginalized and disadvantaged communities. And it was the perfect position for me, although I faced such imposter syndrome in applying for it. And at the end of the day long interview, a friend came and picked me up from McEwen because I was exhausted. And he said, How did it go? I said, I, I really don't know. But what I felt like was that I was knocking on the door to a building that I didn't belong in. And I could see inside and I could see the people in there and they were actually no more smart or capable than me. But there was this poignant feeling that somehow I didn't belong. And I think it was just connected to having grown up in poverty, having to grown up, having grown up in an environment without education. And that imprints us and our ability uh, or our perceived abilities and where we feel we belong and where we don't belong. And I realized at that at that moment that that was actually a gift to have that awareness of that feeling and that and I promised myself that if I ever got if I got this position I would share that story because so many people feel that way especially when it comes to well many things but including entrepreneurship that's a wonderful story thank congratulations. you so much for sharing that yeah. yeah congratulations on both the position and your PhD and I have to ask so how did you end up in Canada and Alberta and Edmonton yeah um, my mom ended up moving here um, and I came and visited her and I had been looking at PhD programs for many years because I'd 
finished my bachelor's at 35, and then I went on to get my MBA. And the great story here, the great start of the part of the story is that my mom actually started college at 54. She was wow. a high school dropout. My parents, all three parents had a stepfather were didn't finish high school. Not many people finished high school where I grew up. You, you just you had to work to support your family. And education wasn't an option. And she started college at 54 and got her master's at 60. And she's a gifted psychotherapist in Edmonton now. And so I came to visit her, looked at U of A's program. I thought, well, I'll just look at another program. I'll just see what's here. And it was a fabulous program, highly competitive to get into. But I thought I have zero chance of getting in if I don't apply. If I at least apply, I increase my odds at getting in. And I got in. So that's what brought me to Edmonton. And then when I finished my PhD, I had interviews in Europe. uh, And I thought that was always like a big fantasy of mine, working in Europe. But when it came right down to it, when, when when it came down to the reality of leaving Edmonton, picking up and moving again, I realized Edmonton had become my home. My daughter graduated from high school here and I didn't want to leave. And so I'm extra grateful to have this position at McCune for that reason. So I can do research that matters, community-driven research that matters, and in my now home of Edmonton. I love it. So tell us a bit more about McEwen University as well for our listeners. Yeah, McEwen is special. It has a special place in my heart and in the hearts of many. It's often referred to as the community's university. It's in the heart of downtown. It has uh, a full suite of undergraduate programs. It's very teaching-centered. Our um, focus is on teaching greatness, and that's a double entendre, meaning we teach greatness to students and we focus on greatness in teaching. And uh, I don't know if you've been to McEwen. You you went to school there, right? One of you? I did, yeah. I actually I did the first part of my undergrad at McEwen for, yeah. for my Bachelor of Arts, and then I went back and did an after degree in public relations. So great um, school. Great school. I I love walking the hallways when they're full of students. There's such a vibrancy there. And I I I find that students feel very cared for there. They know they're important. And McEwen does a lot to make Uh, students feel safe um, and to make educational accessible. It's wonderful for first-generation students. It's got a large number. And I find the faculty to be so caring about teaching and caring about students. Students, Many students are known on a first-name basis with their, their professors. Yeah, it's a really nice transition. Um, that's what I found going, because the high school I went to was quite small. And so having that transition from that to McEwen and then on to the bigger university was really nice. Can we talk a little bit more about uh, the Social Innovation Institute specifically? Uh, Dr. Hedberg, can you tell us a bit about the work that's happening there? Yeah, the Social Innovation Institute was founded six years ago. And the intention of the Social Innovation Institute was to be a place to bring in community partners and connect them with students and faculty to be positive change makers. So the idea of social innovation, it's such a broad term, but it's using the concept of innovation to make positive social change. And like um, 
fostering more social equity. And um, and the focus now, since it's been paired with it, since the Social Innovation Institute has been paired with a Canada research chair, the focus is on social entrepreneurship. I, I call it inclusive, impactful entrepreneurship because the terms marginalized and disadvantaged speak to some um, you know, because there's a caring about that. But I find those terms to also be a bit deficit based and and to perpetuate hierarchies or separation. And so while the term inclusive entrepreneurship isn't perfect, I find that it's a step forward. Right. And so you had a round table, was it um last week or very recently, um, hosted by Social Innovation Institute, and you facilitated it. Can you tell us more about that roundtable? Yeah, that was a it was a great event. It was last Thursday morning from nine to noon, and it brought together all of the stakeholders in our Edmonton region's um, entrepreneurial ecosystem working on inclusive entrepreneurship. So a lot of organizations like Black Canadian Women in Action and the Alberta Women Entrepreneurs Organization, Islamic Family, Africa Center, and so many more. And we also had Edmonton Unlimited in the room. And Edmonton Unlimited is our municipalities, kind of like the flagship of entrepreneurial resources and supports. Right. And so the the whole emphasis was on transforming our entrepreneurial ecosystem to be more inclusive and impactful. And I want to recognize right off the bat that we have a robust entrepreneurial ecosystem in our Edmonton region. And it's remarkable that there is such a growing emphasis on making those entrepreneurial resources more available to underrepresented entrepreneurs. What do you think the challenges are in making them accessible right now? What are you finding? That's such a good question. Um, I think right now there an individual has to have a certain degree of privilege even to know about the resources that are available. Right. You have to kind of be in the know. You have to be in certain information channels to hear about that. But even knowing about them isn't enough. Um, the Edmonton region, like every other city around the world, has an entrepreneurial ecosystem that has sort of developed around tech and venture capital and with an idea of entrepreneurship that is profit-driven and kind of puts this um, heroic entrepreneur up on a pedestal and is focused on having these large exits, you know, these billion-dollar exits. And while that type of entrepreneurship certainly stimulates the economy and is important, and so it's good that resources have sort of been developed around that, that doesn't define all of entrepreneurship. In fact, 99.8% of all businesses in Canada are small and medium-sized businesses. So our economy is fueled by small and medium-sized businesses. And of those businesses, 1.2 million, um, only 1% are um, indigenous owned. And I think it's around 14% are owned, majority owned by visible minorities. And so there is 
so much economic and social benefit to be had from transforming our already robust entrepreneurial ecosystem to reach more. But back to that question about what are the barriers? So one is unequal access to the information about the resources and supports that are available. And then the second one are the social norms, the social construct around what defines entrepreneurship. And I think there are social norms, even just walking into uh, one of our entrepreneurial support centers. You know, I think you you kind of have to know how to, how to behave and who it's for. And I think there are questions, uh, um, questions that many of our underrepresented aspiring entrepreneurs have about, is that really for me? Do I belong? And are the supports really for me? I don't think we can assume that everyone is at the same starting point when it comes to entrepreneurship. I don't think we can assume that just providing like a business model 101 um, programming is going to get them off and running. And something I'm learning as I engage with many of our nonprofits that are supporting minority entrepreneurship is that we need to create, we need to meet people where they're at. And that means geographically also, also it's, it's can be a barrier for someone just to take public transportation downtown to come to, to, to use our entrepreneurial resources. So how can we use, one of my questions is how can we use existing infrastructures like the library where you're at right now using <laughs> the podcast room? Um, our library has rich resources for uh, aspiring entrepreneurs, um, current entrepreneurs. Um, so we have libraries, we have community centers, centers and churches where people have a sense of community already, you know, underrepresented entrepreneurs. How do we tap into those? And how do we create safe spaces, maybe even trauma-informed entrepreneurship supports? Because many of our underrepresented entrepreneurs have experienced generational trauma. And um, many of our immigrants have experienced trauma. And so um, also, I think there needs to be more studying and development of that, taking a trauma-informed entrepreneurship approach. That's super interesting. I want to dig in a little bit more into a comment you made earlier about entrepreneurship being profit-driven. Um, Because I think that's really true. What's another way that you see that entrepreneurship could be driven beyond profits? Thank you so much for digging in. That's a perfect question because I'd love to talk more about that. So increasingly, there we're seeing entrepreneurship, like social entrepreneurship, which is entrepreneurship that has uses a business model to make a social benefit. So maybe providing workforce training for previously incarcerated individuals. Right. Um, so it's offering a service or a product, but the whole the whole model is the whole purpose is not just to make a profit. It's to provide workforce training, workforce skills for people who wouldn't otherwise have them. A lot of, I think, entrepreneurs are social entrepreneurs and don't recognize it. In fact, when you look at a lot of, if we consider Indigenous entrepreneurship, the very roots, the very origins of economic trade among Indigenous was not for profit. It was for community benefit. And 
North America is largely an individualistic society, but many of our underrepresented aspiring entrepreneurs come from collectivistic societies where their conceptualization of entrepreneurship is one of benefiting the community, hiring their neighbors, hiring their relations, hiring members of their community to provide jobs. And in turn, that puts food on the table, can send the next generation to college. And that's really the motivating factor. So profit then is a means to achieving community benefit rather than profit being a means to itself, you know, and end to itself. So does that does that make more sense about what I mean by entrepreneurship that is other than profit driven? It, it makes perfect sense to me. And it reminds me of, of a conversation I actually had with a, a company out of Alexander Nation. Um, they're a drone company. And a lot of their work is using those drones to kind of monitor um, pipelines and things to make sure there's no leaks and stuff. And he talked about his company as um, caring for the land and saying, you know, that's been the Indigenous role for centuries is caring for this land. So he really saw his business as an extension of that sort of um, role that he, he feels, and rightly so, the Indigenous people play here. That's such a good point. Um, and, and you bring up another point I want to make, which is that this isn't just about like a one-way benefiting underrepresented entrepreneurs. The benefit is two ways. We, we being society, stands to learn and benefit from fostering more um, underrepresented entrepreneurship. And again, I don't feel like I have the terms right, you know, even using the terms underrepresented and inclusive, I don't have quite the the right language and I'm still still struggling with that and talking with others to create a shared language around this that is future-oriented, asset-based, um, connective, that, that infers or relays that we are we're we're one people you know we're one humanity we're one community um so in terms of the the challenge you mentioned of not identifying oneself as an entrepreneur or, or seeing oneself as an entrepreneur is that some of that we have to maybe tackle in childhood like in the school system or like how do we like how do we get more people and potential entrepreneurs to see themselves as entrepreneurs I think that's such a good question. And I don't think there's no one has an answer for that. It may be starting in childhood. I don't know if you're familiar with junior achievement. Um, they're in high schools. That's a nonprofit that is in high schools and it's teaching business and entrepreneurial skills to high school students. And I think that's one good place to do that. Um, I think that communities can pull together. I think there's opportunity for communities to pull together and for um, to take an ecosystem approach, which means everyone in a similar space working together. So if you look at our entrepreneurial ecosystem, for example, that includes uh, incubators, accelerators, finance organizations, attorneys focused on entrepreneurship, um, universities that have um, um, entrepreneurial hubs for students. That makes up the 
sort of what we would call the traditional or conventional entrepreneurial ecosystem. But if we look at inclusive or impactful or social entrepreneurship ecosystems, they're going to have some similar elements, but they're also going to have some different elements. They're going to need, they're going to involve more nonprofits, more social social service organizations, and um, they're going to require more, I think, policy change, like social procurement, if you're familiar with that, which is increasing and Edmonton has been incredibly progressive in developing its social procurement policies. And in a month and a half, the Social Innovation Institute is going to hold a social procurement event with Bisocial Canada and End Poverty Edmonton to um, help to, to, to kind of lift all boats when it comes to social procurement, because social procurement is the demand side or the market side for many of these impactful, inclusive businesses. So so I think it takes an ecosystem approach. Mm-hmm. And that's what the Social Innovation Institute plays. That's the role that we see ourselves playing is being that convener of Edmonton region's inclusive entrepreneurial ecosystem. And that's what the roundtable was about last weekend, was bringing everyone together, asking the question, how, what, 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 what are the barriers to inclusive entrepreneurship? And how do we address those barriers collectively? Can, can you talk a little bit about the, I mean, I, we don't want you to speak for other people, of course, but just maybe just give us a bit of a synopsis of how that discussion went and maybe if there were any outcomes. Well, first of all, it was three hours and it went by so fast. There was so much more to be said and could be said in three hours, but um, a, a very exciting, encouraging outcome was First of all, just the people who showed up in the room, there was such an eagerness for this type of gathering to come together as an ecosystem. There's a recognition that these some some of them grassroots nonprofits have been working in isolation and struggling with resources to support minority entrepreneurs. And there's a sense that we could make much more of an impact working collectively. So that was a beautiful outcome, just the level of energy in the room and the level of participation in the room. And um, we're going to be sending out a report from that event to all of the organizations that were involved, asking them to look over the the information from the report. So the information that came out, the themes that that came out during that roundtable, and then to... to, say what each of them think the next step should be. But already I did an evaluation of the event and um, almost unanimously people said, we want more of this. We wish it had been longer. And what I can say, one of the things I can say that came out of that event was a recognition that we need warm, safe, welcoming spaces for aspiring entrepreneurs. We need to create... um, more of a culture in in which more people see themselves as entrepreneur and feel safe taking that risk because being an entrepreneur in itself is a is is a risky endeavor betting on oneself and um and so i think the more we can do to help people 
see themselves as a potential entrepreneur. And if we can create spaces and programs that enable people to take those risks and kind of play in the entrepreneurship space and not feel like it's like they have to get it right, right off the bat, you know, but that you could just take steps in and, and try and evaluate what are, what are your assets? What are your skills? Um, and have a, have a place to do that sort of that ideation stage and thinking through who would your market be and uh, thinking through some of those elements of entrepreneurship. I think we can do that as a community better. And it's not just the Edmonton region. In fact, Edmonton region would be the first, as far as I'm aware of, the first community to really step into this place and create a framework and a model that would be replicable, not only across Alberta, but across Canada and around the world, really. Awesome. Dr. Hedberg, for any listeners um, that think, oh, maybe I could be an entrepreneur, there are resources, I just wasn't aware of it, where where would you direct them? Where should they go? That's a good question. It's a really good question because there is no clearinghouse for all of the resources that exist. Mm -hmm. And we started doing an environmental scan. The Social Innovation Institute started an environmental scan on all of the entrepreneurial resources that are available. And the list is long, but it needs to be, we need to work on that more because we need, we need someone to be able to go to a website. First of all, they have to know that there's a website available. They have to have access to a computer and Wi-Fi to be able to go to that website. And then in in my ideal future world, there is this website where someone can put in, you know, I'm a female or male, I'm Indigenous or I'm African and um, I have a tech business or a non-tech business. And then they can get a list of the resources that are available to them and contact information for those resources. Yeah, that would be great to see. That would be really great. Um, can you explain like why you think this is so important like why should people be prioritizing uh inclusion when it comes to entrepreneurship and kind of yeah encouraging that those underrepresented folks to step into the space i think it really comes down to pathways to economic participation so we know that there is inequity in economic participation and there's a desire to see more social equity in people having access to education as, as one economic way to participate. And then entrepreneurship is another way. And so the entrepreneurship pathway just happens to be the pathway that I'm interested in. And um, being at the at McEwen Social Innovation Institute with and being a nominee for this Canada Research Chair really really enables me to do that, enables me to use my privilege to support others and to support our community in fostering inclusive entrepreneurship. And the numbers speak for themselves. The numbers um, that I had said earlier about how many, um, how the large percentage of our businesses that are small and medium enterprises. So we know that our small and medium enterprises are employing the vast majority of people in Canada. And, and the numbers that speak to the, um, the disproportion of minority entrepreneurs. And so that, to me, says that we, we can do more. We can do more as a community. But it takes everyone. It takes government and nonprofits 
working together and and higher education working together. And that's what the Social Innovation Institute was created for. That's awesome. I love that. Anything else uh, you would like to mention to listeners? There's nothing that I can think of. Thank you so much for letting me talk about this good work that's unfolding in the Edmonton region and that was kicked off last week by the roundtable. It's very exciting and it was insightful. Thank you for all of all the hard work you're doing. And yeah, we're really excited to see um, what's going to keep coming out of the Social Innovation Institute. Yeah, truly inspiring. Really great to meet you, Dr. Hedberg. And thanks for being here today. Thank you both. That's a wrap for today. Thank you for tuning in to the Economic Development Matters podcast brought to you by Edmonton Global. For more information about Edmonton Global or to get in touch, visit our website, edmontonglobal.ca. Follow us on social media on Twitter, LinkedIn, or Facebook. And don't forget to follow us on your favorite podcast platform so you'll be among the first to know when a new episode drops. Thanks for listening. We hope you learned something new about why economic development matters.